Reading from the Gospel of our Lord according to Matthew, the 11th chapter, beginning with verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Another 30-second review. Romans 5 through 14 are the chapters that are guiding us in our summer sermonizing. I said for a couple of weeks now, Jesus founded the church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Paul really was one of its first organizers, and Paul was a very good organizer. So we're taking these weeks to highlight the parallels between Rome and Rochester. Both places were and are large, diverse cultural centers. We really love the culture that's here in Rochester. And we share some significant Roman social issues, like the inherent cultural biases that come with our pride in self, the great divide between rich and poor, Justice, which is unequally applied. I don't have to work too terribly hard to make the connections between Rome and Rochester, do I? Today, we're dropping in on Paul as he wrestles mightily with himself. When we look at biblical characters, we quite often attach kind of a superhuman status to them. And it's a very complex status, to be sure. The conventional wisdom that drives much of our thinking is that somehow, because these people got into the Bible, and in some cases were writers of letters in the Bible, they were holier and better than we are. That conventional wisdom allows us, on the one hand, to give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, they are Bible people, and therefore, even if we struggle with what they say, they must somehow be right. On the other hand, 
we don't cut them any slack at all. How can those so-called holy folks so miss the mark in their own personal lives? And remember when we're talking about sin, we're not talking about terrible, rotten, evil things that humans do. We do talk about that too. But rather, we're, we're talking about how we just missed the mark. We're not quite where we need to be. And that's what Paul is doing here in this passage. It's, it's a brutally honest self-assessment. Paul, on the one hand, if you struggle, as, as Pastor Ernest has said, if, if you read these letter, uh, this letter from Romans and his other letters, you understand that Paul had a very high-level understanding of faith and how we understand and put that faith into action. And then you read this passage where Paul kind of envisions a song from not too terribly long ago. Oops! I did it again! And again! And again! Paul is angry with himself because he can't live up to his own rules, his own understanding of the faith. He just can't do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Paul recognized that he looks back on his life, and he lived a good life according to the standards that he knew. And he missed the mark, which is the definition that he uses of sin. So pious Paul, this person that we might want to put up on a relatively elevated pedestal, doesn't allow it in his own life. He stresses his sinful solidarity with the Romans. He is not there to say how much better than they he is, but rather, in some ways, he's even worse because he knows what's right and still can't do it. I personally find great comfort in his confessional words. I've been at this work for quite a long time now, and one of the biggest obstacles that I regularly encounter in Christians who come and speak honestly with me is their inability not to forgive others, but oftentimes their inability to forgive themselves. And so they let that inability just kind of build up in them, and it keeps them from doing what really God wants them to do and from being what God wants them to be. The inability to forgive oneself for missing the mark in whatever way one might miss the mark results in what I call I'm not good enough thinking. What difference can I make in our world because I can't even make much of a difference in my own life? Why would anybody expect me to be a valiant person out there in the world trying to right the wrongs when I can't even do it myself. The I'm not good enough thinking that resides in each of us can become an excuse for us to accept the status quo, the way things are, the way things are are the way things are, and I am not good enough to do 
anything about it. And Paul's confessional allows us to take a good, honest look at ourselves so that we might get over that I'm not good enough thinking and be the people that God wants us to be. So Paul teaches us an important lesson in honesty today. Yes, we do have those places in our lives where we imagine that we are not good enough, but, but when we look at the whole picture, the big picture, we, we recognize that, that we're pretty good people. Folks here at Third Presbyterian Church, we're pretty good people. We've done a lot of wonderful things through the course of our history. We're living good lives. And so is Paul, according to the standards of his day. But in some important ways, like Paul, we recognize that we've missed the mark in our personal lives. It, in dealing with our families and in work and all of those sorts of things, and in gigantic social ways as well. And this year in particular on this weekend, we are being reminded of the errors that we generally and generically have made for a lot of years. We bristle against that, we might, we may even respond defensively to say, well, we're not that bad. And then, after responding defensively, we attack others. And I see a lot of defensive and then attacking modes going on out there in the world. I don't think that's what Paul is telling us to do here in this time. Paul suggests and encourages and models a different tactic when dealing with your own shortcomings and those of the people around you. Paul kind of says, my translation, count to ten. And while you're counting to ten, entertain the notion that what the other folks are saying about you and about society and about the things that you honor and treasure, there is some truth in what they're saying. And then imagine, before saying that someone else is wrong, imagine that you could be wrong, that, that I could be wrong. I don't talk much about television because I haven't watched television much since the 70s, but I do remember the time on Happy Days when the Fonz had to say that he was wrong. And I see a couple of you smiling because you can remember that episode. It was one of the greatest episodes of Happy Days. Google it. It's still there. I've looked at it recently myself. The Fonz just couldn't say that he was He couldn't say it. Paul is saying, say it. If you missed the mark, say it, own it. Because only by saying it and owning it can you take the next step, which is to change your behavior. I think it's pretty easy to see the social and political connotations for this time and this place. We've probably, in our situation, my situation, I can only honestly speak for myself as, as a privileged old white guy, I probably have never been asked to think so much about Independence Day. For whom? 
for whom that I have been this year. And I could respond defensively to those attacks where I can say, dear Lord, there's a lot of truth in what people are saying about me and about my history. There have been monumentally great things done in the name of liberty and justice and freedom and all of those things. It's a part of our religious tradition and our political tradition. And there's been great pain. And we need to recognize that as well. Because only in recognizing it can we change our course and start out on another way which allows us not to miss the mark. Paul finally doesn't dump himself and us in history's dustpan. Honesty does something amazing for Paul and for us as well. Honesty opens the heart to grace and redemption. Saint Paul, Paul never called himself Saint Paul, but but we call him Saint Paul. Saint Paul, this this holy person that we revere and revile both sometimes in the same sentence. St. Paul says in this passage, O wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? He's been as honest as he can see about himself and where he is, and he realizes the answer to that question. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Honesty opens our hearts to grace and redemption, and we are challenged to receive and to give personal and social grace in these times, maybe more than we ever have before. I may be pretty good, but I'm far from perfect. In some cases, I'm pretty bad. And I have to be honest about that, too. And we need to be honest about that as a society, as a church. But this is not where we intend to stay. We move with Paul beyond the wretched people that we are to receiving and giving thanks for and acknowledging and embracing the grace that God extends to us. Oops. We've done it again and again and again. And grace comes again and again and again. And someday, we're going to get it right. And in the meantime, we're going to receive God's grace. And we're going to forgive ourselves. And then we're going to extend grace and forgiveness to others so that we can rebuild our communities and our world in the way that God wants it to be rebuilt. Thanks be to God for this teaching, this honest teaching from his holy word. Amen.